Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Break free from the forces holding you back. Get the life you deserve. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, decrease depression, and start living your full potential. Thousands have used Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory, an evidence-based behavioral health breakthrough with incredible life-changing results. Getting rid of past trauma, having fulfilling relationships, increasing earnings, and living their best life. Now, the Fujian app is available to everyone. The app is Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory in the palm of your hand. Download the Fujian app today. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Podcast, a heartfelt chat with my guests and you beautiful listeners and viewers. I'm Dr. Fujian Zain. I'm a psychotherapist and author and the originator of the Awareness Integration Theory, where you can find in any of the books of Life Reset, Intentional Parenting, for all of you beautiful coaches and uh, mental health uh, specialists and professionals, psychologists, psychotherapists. You can also find the theory and awareness integration therapy book. And um, I'd love to hear from you. And um, for um, everybody who wants to experience this um, very uh, latest evidence-based theory and uh, self-awareness and integration and how to create fulfillment in your life, you can also go to Fujian app in your Apple Store or Google Play and um, learn about uh, not only the theory, but also work through your life in every area of your life. So it's great to be with you today. And um, I'm positive that you will enjoy my conversation in this episode with Elizabeth Horn as much as I did. Elizabeth Horn has been a healthcare communicator for um, over 20 years and um, is the co-founder and co-director of The Art of Infertility, for which she has curated 30 exhibits since its inception in 2014. The Art of Infertility was the 2018 recipient of the Hope Award for Innovation given by Resolve, the National, in the, the National Infertility Association for its work communicating uh, patient experiences through the art program. Today, we're going to talk about her latest book that she has authored, um, and which is Infertilities, a Curation. She has authored with Maria Novotny and Robin Silberglide. And um, what they do is in this book is to seek to break through the silence, the shame, the stigma, the isolation surrounding uh, trouble with conceiving and bearing a child while also demonstrating how central creativity is to grieving and healing. Through personal stories, vignettes, poetry, and works of visual aura, this collection captures the anxiety, the fear, frustration, anger, stress, sadness, familiar to every single person living with infertility and not just older white heterosexual couples, which as a myth, it appears that, um, you know, that's what has been stated. Infertility's curation honors the experience and perspective of diversity of individuals living with infertility, women and men, white, black, Latinx, and Asian, single parents by choice, non-binary and transgender individuals, heterosexual couples, lesbian and queer, um, identified uh, queer identified couples, and anyone with a medical condition that makes conceiving or bearing a child impossible. As the curator's stress and this collection makes clear, 
infertility does not discriminate. Um, it was a beautiful conversation, very heartfelt, and um, you know, sharing uh, personal stories. Um, so I hope that you enjoy. And uh, if you've had this condition, then you know you are going to relate. And if you haven't, then it opens the perspective of um, of a, a whole different uh, concept that is there. And hopefully, you will uh, understand more, have compassion, and learn about it. Subscribe to my podcast, my YouTube channel, and connect with me through my website, fujanzain.com. If you would like to go through and get the um, Fujan app to create fulfillment in your life, go to fujan.com and go to any of our social media uh, by Dr. Fujan Zain. And I'd love to hear from you. So contact me through social media, through my email, and let me know. Uh, what are some of the topics that you want to hear or, you know, be sure to subscribe to both the YouTube channel and this and, um, you know, let us know, uh, let us know what you want to hear. So without further ado, um, here's Elizabeth Horn. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, and decrease depression. Dr. Fujian Zane's awareness integration theory has helped thousands like you get incredible life-changing results. The Fujian app gives you her evidence-based treatment in the palm of your hand. Download today. Well, welcome, Elizabeth Horn, to um, our show. It's so nice to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, your expertise is in uh, infidelity, and you have written um, the book about uh, infertilities with your co-authors, uh, Maria Novotny and Robin Silverguide. And um, it's, a, it's a curation of a lot of amazing stories and conversations about infertility. Um, tell me what got you interested in this topic. Sure. So um, my interest in art and infertility and creative writing and infertility really came from my own experience. I was diagnosed with infertility back in about 2010, and I was really frustrated with the way that my infertility was so invisible. There wasn't an outward sign of what I was going through. And like many individuals, um, it's estimated that about 61% of women in particular don't share their infertility experience or diagnosis with their friends and even close family members. So I was really feeling isolated and uh, really wanted some way to kind of express my emotion around what I was dealing with, as well as have a physical representation of it because infertility is so invisible. Absolutely. Um, it seems like uh, the World Health Organization says statistically there's one in eight couples that go through this and now recently more about one in six people globally have some trouble getting pregnant whether it's you know genetic or it's conditional or because uh, people wait a little bit you know longer before they get pregnant um so that's uh, it's a, it's a high statistics which people who um, might not be really noticing because I think everybody who goes through this it feels very personal and they might feel like I'm you know I'm um, odd or I'm different but then when we look at the bigger picture of the statistics and that it happens in all levels of society all races all uh, kind of ages and 
um, you know, socioeconomic status, regardless of where you live, um, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, prevailing. And do you have, uh, with your research that you've done for the book and all of it, is there a particular um, reasons or clusters or myths that are around this idea? Yeah, so I think one of the big ones is age, right? We think of infertility as something that impacts older individuals or older couples. And while that's certainly true that infertility declines with age, um, it's not uncommon for women and men in their early 20s, for example, to also deal with infertility. So that's a big one that we wanted to kind of push back against that myth that it only impacts older individuals and couples. Um, also, um, women and, and men, individuals of color are often kind of excluded from what the general population sometimes thinks of as, as um, someone who has an infertility diagnosis. Um, and actually, uh, Black women in particular are impacted at higher rates due to things like fibroids um, and their uterus. So we really wanted to, to share information about that as well and perspectives from individuals of color who are dealing with infertility. Um, another thing people don't often think of when they think of someone who's infertile is someone who's in a same-sex couple um, or a single parent by choice, for example. So we really wanted to share stories from a, a wide range of perspectives um, and men too, because a lot of times men's perspectives are left out of the mix when we, when we hear infertility stories. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's so much um, emotions around this matter because I think that for me, myself, uh, my experience had been that I uh, I did get pregnant very early on in um, my marriage and I was very young and this was just was not the right time mm -hmm. uh, at all. So, I would, you know, we chose not to have the child. Um, and But then after that, it kept, you know, waiting and waiting. And at one point, I remember having a lot of difficulties getting pregnant. And at one point, I got menopause so early that mm -hmm. the doctor told me that I could no longer have a child. Um, I remember being so shocked to going around um, driving and I had aimlessly and I had no idea where I was. And it mm -hmm. was interesting that um, there's so much emotion that shows up suddenly where with this idea that especially as a female, your, you know, your body is designed to be able to do this. And then suddenly having the idea that you you don't and you can't and then you have to start looking at obviously alternatives and for me I did cho chose not to look for alternatives and accept mm -hmm. that it is what it is and just you know um you know raise and give my love to the children uh, who are around um, but I really went firsthand into many many months of um, experiences of the taboo uh, conversation that this wasn't only a personal conversation it was very much a community a societal conversation and it keeps coming up which is like do you have children how come you don't mm -hmm. have choose not to have children and um so it you know because it is such a um given concept when you of our, when you are in a phase of not going through what uh, considers a normal to be, then there's so much emotions and conversations that show up. Can you share a little bit with your experience and research that you've done for your book or some of feelings, emotions, taboos, and things that show up? 
Yeah. So I think one of the things that is an is unexpected to a lot of people who are just learning about infertility is that uh, an infertility diagnosis can uh, has been shown uh, via research to be as stressful as a diagnosis of other medical conditions such as heart disease or cancer or HIV positive status. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, there's a lot of focus sometimes on physical treatment of infertility, but not so much those those mental and emotional um, impacts that come up. Um, so that definitely um, plays into the stress and the uh, just the turmoil that you might be faced with. Um, you mentioned, you know, um, previously, you know, you weren't ready to have a child and you were able to access uh, care to be able to make that decision. And I think that's another thing that we don't often think of is infertility as a reproductive justice um, issue, because um, what we would really like to see is, is reproductive health in general and uh, reproduction being a personal choice in terms of being able to have the access to your health care to have a child or not have a child at the time that you choose. Um, so that's one of the things that we wanted to to raise through this uh, project in this book as well, is just, um, you know, how reproductive health care um, often leaves out the conversation of infertility. And then also too the kind of success stories that we hear a lot of times are those that end with a baby or a child. And there are a lot of success stories that don't end with a baby or a child. There are a lot of ways to find a meaningful and purposeful life and find happiness and peace and joy. And um, well, a lot of the stories in the book are of course sad because this can be a sad topic. There are a lot of uh, joyful stories too. Um, so we really wanted to push back against some of those those myths and those narratives of, you know, success equals baby. Um, and also too, just if, if you end up having a child or a family through your, through and after your infertility process, Infertility doesn't just end. It's not like it's over when you have a baby. There are ways that it impacts you throughout your life. You know, I still struggle with that question. Do you have children? Uh, often because my path to parenthood has been varied. So, you know, I I have a hard time kind of honoring all of those experiences that made me a parent. Um, I raised my nieces for a time and I had a miscarriage. So I was pregnant with twins at one time and had a miscarriage. And I, I contribute that to my feelings of, of motherhood or parenthood as well. Um, and uh, I'm now step parenting after infertility. So, um, you know, I just really want to point that out too, is that just because you have a, a child or a family doesn't mean that infertility magically goes away. You still have these, these stress and emotional reactions to, to your disease. Absolutely. I think that there's, um, there is this taboo that you also talk about in your book that, um, it is, it is two ways that I think society sometimes looks at it as either, um, you're not able, so you're incapable of, or it was your fault because you waited too long and it didn't happen. And somehow it's almost like we hold some sort of a shame or a blame around this thing, which just seems like everybody's, you know, on a normal level, you should be able to. So if it's not, then there's either a shame or a blame, either I'm incapable or I did something wrong. And, mm -hmm. and I also work with a lot of 
women and men who go through this concept and part of it is the is the women but i think that you know even for men i've worked a lot with when their sperm count is not there and they have to get as you know surrogate uh in order to be able to do this and they feel less than they feel shame they feel um really like they're not the man you know who are able to do this and then there's also this um the the emotional angle of not not being good enough to do what your species is supposed to do as a normal genetic um you know principle and the under <laughs> underlying of why you're even you know here is supposed to procreate from your own body and out and so I think that innately all of these things are somehow as a statement around us that we have to consistently face and none of it is easy to face. And like you said, and none of it goes away. It's more like, okay, I can accept whatever it is. And, you know, I win some, I, I lose some and that's okay. And how can I create some more winning? The same thing you were saying that, you know, I created alternative ways of how to nourish and cherish and uh, give my love in and in in level of you know uh, creation and do it in a different way. And same way I did, you know, raise the you know, became a therapist to kind of reparent the world in a way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so we do the, the different types of um, replacement uh, in uh, for. Uh, some of our experiences that we didn't get to have, but there are, it just keeps showing up because of the messages that are there uh, that are not necessarily because people are, you know, intending bad, but just situations trigger the conversation over and over again. How did you um, process this and how did, how did it land for you uh, to get completed with it, or even if you're not complete with it, come into the process systematically of, you know, working it through. Yeah. So I, I mentioned early on that um, I started creating artwork around my experience and that has been a huge, you know, creative outlet for me and a way for me to process um, different stages of dealing with infertility and uh, undergoing certain procedures or, um, you know, having a way to use that art to share my my experience with my friends and my family. So my my baby for a long time was really uh, the arts organization that I started along with Maria and Robin through that process. Um, and and what we did for a long time is is curate these um, exhibits of patient made artwork around infertility and uh, use them as a tool to share information with our communities and do advocacy work um, and really have a safe space for people who are dealing with infertility to, to meet up and share their stories and meet others. And along with those exhibits, we would do art and writing workshops and film screenings and other things. Um, we did a lot of um work sharing infertility stories in the workplace. So at places like pharmaceutical companies or clinics or therapy offices, um, just bringing those lived experiences of infertility into that space. And that was so healing for me to have an opportunity to not only share my own story, but make these other stories uh, visible and um, make sure that people heard them as well. Um, so, you know, when, when COVID came around and we were uh, you know, prohibited essentially from, from doing in-person events. Um, we had already started working on the book and decided to uh, take the time while we were home um, to really 
finish it up, to wrap it up and kind of create uh, a portable version of what we've been doing with the in-person exhibits for so long. Um, just offering this, this piece that offered a lot of diverse perspectives and stories uh, through visual artwork and through creative writing. And um, our hope is that that will, um, you know, be something that someone who's dealing with infertility can pick up and find themselves in and and see a part of their story in and find that they're not alone to to feel less isolated as well as a tool for um you know the general public who just doesn't know anything about infertility or friends and family members and also that we're um we're hopeful that it will make its way into the clinics into the um healthcare providers offices in terms of sharing those stories with with healthcare providers as well as the patients who are there and medical students and all kinds of different groups that might might benefit from it but that's a way i found so much healing throughout this time um, but it is a process, you know, I've, I've done a lot of therapy and a lot of uh, meditation and a lot of um, just kind of reframing my mindset um, and kind of rediscovering my own identity because, you know, like you said earlier, you think that you're going to be able to be a parent when you're ready to be a parent. And when that doesn't happen, it can be really, uh, you know, jolting. You don't kind of, you have to kind of figure out if I'm not going to be a parent what will my identity be? What will I, what will I do? So um, that's taken a lot of time and something I still, I still grapple with. Um, but art has definitely helped along the way, um, as well as therapy and friends and just connecting with others who are, are dealing with similar experiences. Yes, absolutely. Infertilities, everyone, a curation uh, by Elizabeth Horn and Maria Novotny and Robin Silver Glide. Um, Elizabeth, there's a, there's a concept in your book that you really talk about more of promoting this conversation of infertility as a biomedical conversation uh, versus mm -hmm. societal conversation versus, uh, you know, a blame shame uh, version of it where, you know, it is put upon people uh, that they must have done something to whether it's a man or women they must have done something to their body or you know there's always some um, accusation of that whether it's coming from the person themselves or outside so mm -hmm. sometimes we just do you know take all the societal conversations and and interject it and blame ourselves for it but as I uh, as I see in your book you're looking at you know, bringing it into the medical world so we could take the shame and blame a burden off of it and really look at what it is that's not working and what are the possibilities of, you know, for, for people to be able to create something, whether it's, you know, go into um, different medical possibilities for themselves or um, at least come to some closure, even if those medical possibilities are not there. So can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so the Americans with Disabilities Act actually recognizes infertility as a, as a disability. And I think that's important to, to realize as well and recognize um, most people in the U United States don't have access to uh, coverage for their health care when it comes to infertility. So a lot of people who are diagnosed are, you know, kind of burdened with this um, out-of-pocket expense for, for their infertility when it is a medical condition and a disease just like other 
other conditions and diseases that, um, you know, people have coverage for. So um, that was one of the things we wanted to point out in terms of a, a biomedical condition, just that, um, you know, this is like, like other, um, other medical diseases that um, deserve that kind of attention and that kind of coverage. Um, also, you know, in terms of societal too, we think we um, have, uh, you know, many people who are unable to have a child just because they're lacking a sper sperm or an egg because they're a single parent by choice or in a same-sex couple. So we also wanted to share, share that. Um, and many times individuals who don't have access to sperm or egg or womb are um, so for example, there's a story in our, our book about, uh, a lesbian couple who, who are automatically labeled as having male factor infertility, even though really that's not the case. I mean, they don't have, uh, access to sperm, but, um, they just need, need help in that way. But because of that reason too, a lot of individuals who are, um, single parents by choice or in a same sex couple don't always get the testing that they need because it's just kind of assumed that the reason they um, aren't able to have a baby too is just, you know, needing access to that sperm or egg when sometimes um, actually testing things out and checking things like hormone levels or um, other factors that contribute to infertility, um, block tubes or, or something like that. Although that's not so much a, a factor in IVF, but in intrauterine insemination, it can be. So um, just really looking at the whole picture and seeing that this is is both uh, a medical issue as well as a societal one. It certainly is. It seems like um, I think sometimes because of the uh, natural expectation of, well, this should just be part of the regular growth um, that people don't necessarily go in and check until the time that they're trying um, for it in order to have children. It's like that conversation doesn't show up. It's almost like, you know, we'll cross the bridge when we have to. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly uh, they're ready to have the ch child and then the obstacles show up and then now they have to do all the tests and go through all of it and then because they're oh, they're ready to have something then postponing this because of realization of something is happening biomedically then uh becomes more shocking uh but if what, what i'm hearing from you and um in in this book is more about taking that part of our life uh, seriously doing all the diagnostics that we need to do uh, talk to the physicians that we need to do in order to get ourselves prepared to see if there is something that we need to handle about our body or, um, or you know, their support and supplements or different matters that we need to bring as a resource to, to our uh, lives in order to get us ready for the phase of life as we show up because becoming a parent is a phase of life. Um, mm -hmm. So... We don't need to wait until the last minute. We can get prepared for that phase of life. And yeah, even, oh, sorry. <laughs> but that also leads to what you were talking about as getting prepared for that phase of life for single women who decide to stay, you know, single mother. Then they're 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 not attaching having children with marriage necessarily, mm -hmm. um, or the LGBTQ uh, plus community, which ultimately has to have some different type of planning and uh, support and resources. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that we've tried to do along the way um, is do some education with college students, because I think college students are often left out of the equation. Like you said, you don't often have those conversations with your doctor about reproduction until, unless it's to, to avoid pregnancy, um, until you're ready to do it. So just making them aware, uh, we do that through a workshop we call Reproductive Rights, W-R-I-T-E-S, and um, really kind of bring this concept of infertility as a reproductive justice issue into the classroom, um, start to introduce them the idea that this is something that they just want to have on their radar. You know, you don't have to necessarily do anything about it right away, but just being aware that, um, you know, there are ways that you can um, prepare for that and test, um, you know, some some basic uh, blood levels or hormone levels or other things that um, might give you a little insight to if you might, um, you know, have a little bit of trouble later on uh, in terms of, um, you know, how many eggs you might have left at, at your age. Is it um, kind of the standard for someone your age? Is it less than someone your age should typically have. So those are some things that we can kind of address ahead of time to have more knowledge when we reach that point when we're actually ready to move forward and, and try to get pregnant. Yes. You also in your book talk about racial health and how, um, you know, these experiences get complicated and uh, for depending on what race you are. Can you share a little bit about the research you've done on that? Yeah, so I mentioned a little bit earlier about, um, you know, Black women in particular have a higher rate of fibroids, for example, so um, that those fibroids grow inside the uterus and can impact uh, an embryo implanting, so they can adversely impact um, a, a person's ability to become pregnant. So that's one of the barriers, just basic physical barriers, but there can be, you know, Black and brown women on average. Um, seek help a bit later and and actually have access to care later. Um, and some of that's just um, kind of reflected in healthcare providers, right? We're more comfortable sometimes seeing a healthcare provider that is, is like us or who might um, we feel take us more seriously. And um, that sometimes isn't as accessible to, to women um, who are women of color, so that can impact. Um, there can be socioeconomic um, issues, of course, regardless of race in terms of, as I mentioned before, um, people just not having access to the healthcare they need. And, you know, who has just, I mean, some people do have access to the kinds of funds that they need just kind of laying around and ready to go if they're um, faced with infertility. But treatment itself um, can be a huge out-of-pocket expense. And, um, you know, uh, IVF, you know, can can range tens of thousands of dollars. If you need access to surrogacy or something like that, it could be upward of 50 to $100,000. And even adoption, you know, people think of like, oh, the whole myth of why don't you just adopt? You know, there are plenty of kids out there who needs homes. But if um, adoption has all kinds of barriers and, and um you know, a lot of uh, agencies, for example, don't work with couples who aren't of specific um, uh, religious faiths or might not work with single parents or those who are in the same sex relationship. So uh, there can be a lot of barriers uh, to that as well. Um, so we really wanted to highlight those stories and share 
both the similarities and the differences. Um, and that's why the book's entitled Infertility is because there's not just one infertility story, right? Or one diagnosis. It's so nuanced and there's there can be so many layers. Uh, so we wanted to share that through the art and stories in the book as well. Absolutely. Yes. I think that um, I work with a lot of clients who are um, go through the cycle of uh, the IVF and you can see the hormonal changes that happens that really affects the couple. Um, and then, you know, the uh, implantation and moving forward and, you know, the uh, disappointment sometimes that it doesn't take and they have to go through over and over and the expenditure to go through and, you know, to finally have the success that they have. Or sometimes they go through all of it and it just doesn't work out and they have to go mm -hmm. through and in the grief of all of that that happens and you share your own story and there's a lot of grief that happens every time that you know we have an expectation it doesn't come through or uh, we lose a child because you know in the first trimester you might have to so you have to go through a lot of grief there's a lot of psychological factors emotional factors around infertility that people really need to be um, aware of and um, to work on it in order for them to be able to grieve appropriately and not make that the concept of their identity and just you know label themselves as something um, and be able to move forward and create different types of success that that only having your own child with your own egg and sperm um is not the only way that you could be feel successful as you know someone who is a parent that you shared yourself and how you've parented others i've shared those so although it might not be the original experience but there's we don't also have to just sit in a space of i can't and i couldn't uh, but we could definitely look at i can in so many other ways so um Many of the stories in your book also handle how to be successful in this. Part of the success is uh, prevention or uh, preparation or planning and all of it. But other ways of success is um, looking at different angles of this and landing success for yourself and however you could bring that meaningful um, state to it. Can you share a little bit about that area? Yeah, so the way we set up the book um, is in three parts. And the first part is really much about kind of that identity piece, um, kind of finding out you're dealing with infertility or or starting out ready to have a child and coming across these barriers. Um, so we share many stories of that kind of basic setting out, coming to just find out there's there's an issue um working through those emotions and processing how how relationships relationships are impacted throughout that time um so in that first part that's a lot of the the focus and then the second part deals a lot with you know kind of going through initial stages of of treatment or um you know accessing adoption for the first time and what that looks like and working through those those struggles. Um, and the third part really talks a lot about resolution, right? So 
resolution for some people will be, um, you know, successful IVF, for example. Um, some people might find resolution through third-party reproduction with um, use of donor egg or donor sperm or donor embryo. Uh, some people might have a successful adoption story and others are going to either choose child-free. So it sounds like that, that was your choice in, in terms of accepting that and um, finding a way to uh, find meaning and, and move forward with that option. Um, some people feel like that's not a decision they make and that's kind of forced upon them and, um, you know, have a little bit sometimes, not that one way is harder than the other, but just see it in a different way. It's just a little bit of a different perspective. So um, in that section, we also wanted to touch again on um, just that pushing back on that narrative of success, that success can look very different for many different people. And there's not one right or wrong way to resolve or to end, so to speak, your infertility journey. And also that it doesn't just go away. It's going to continue throughout throughout your life as you reach different stages. You know, when you are, your friends are all of you know grandparent age and having grandbabies or uh, whatever that might be. So um, just sharing those perspectives and, and hopefully normalizing them that there are many different ways to find find a resolution and um, kind of end your story, even though it's not truly an ending. It's so important what you said, because I think that because in every single phase of life, uh, that conversation shows up and even it shows mm -hmm. up have had, um, you know, children by other means, um, uh, there's a part of that person that might still hold to the concept of why couldn't I have, or the experience might be different, or their attachment might be different. So because of this conversation continues throughout the phase of life, it's so important to get clear with it, to be, uh, to let go of the energy, uh, excess energy that might be there that could be blaming or shaming. And to become clear with whatever it is, because you're absolutely right that it keeps showing up in front of you. And if you don't want to have a lot of uh, excess uh, emotional um, uproar every time that it comes, then mm -hmm. it's so important for, for us to, you know, kind of um, wrap our head and heart around it and come to some um, the source of purpose and meaning into it that feels right to us. Because every time it shows up, we can go back to that sense of meaning and, and the beauty that whatever it is that we decided to do and create success for it. Um, in one minute or so, is there anything we haven't shared that you really want people to know about you, about your own experience, about what you've learned and researched, about the book? Um, I would say, you know, and I, I don't really like the word journey so much, but it really can be a, a longer kind of road than you expect going in. And one of the things that I've um, found helpful uh, throughout what I'm dealing with is just kind of to do the most aggressive thing I'm ready to at the time and also to take your time and really, um, you know, I was not so fond of the idea of IVF. Not that anyone wants to do IVF, but I was really feeling like that wasn't an, an option for me and not something I wanted to do. And I just took the time to 
to explore that through therapy and really think about uh, the pros and cons and what I ultimately wanted and did it at the at a time that was right for me. I think, you know, we've talked a lot about societal pressures throughout this this time and just really doing what's right for you and for your family and trying to um, push aside some of those outside voices because what what really is important is that you know, we do what's right for us in terms of family building. Absolutely. Yes, you're absolutely accurate about how to own our choices or whatever conditions they are and, um, and, you know, work it through and make the best possible way in our life with whatever it is, whether again, it was choices or it was um, conditions that are just there for us to face. Everyone in Fertilities, a curation by and edited by Elizabeth Horn, Maria um, Novotny, and Robin Silberg Guild. Um, Elizabeth, where can people find you and your books? Yeah, so um, we uh, do have a website for the Art of Infertility, which is my arts or, arts organization artofinfertility.org. We do have a dedicated page for the book and for all of the events that are kind of springing up from the book. So you can find out where we're going to be. We have a variety of virtual and in-person events listed. Um, and uh, that's that's a good place to, to start. Um, Wayne State University Press is our publisher and you can find access to them as well. Um, and the book is available in your, your favorite local bookstore. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye. Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, and decrease depression. Dr. Fujian Zane's awareness integration theory has helped thousands like you get incredible life-changing results. The Fujian app gives you her evidence-based treatment in the palm of your hand. Download today.